Welcome to another episode celebrating Bleeding Disorders Awareness Month. Today, I am your host, Amy Board, and you're listening to the Bloodstream Podcast. We have a very special guest. Dr. Glenn Pierce is with us to share a little bit about MASAC. You've probably heard of MASAC. Maybe you haven't heard of MASAC. MASAC stands for the Medical and Scientific Advisory Council. It's a lot. Medical and Scientific Advisory Council. And it was created by the National Hemophilia Foundation in 1954 to issue recommendations and advisories on treatment, research, and other general health concerns for the bleeding disorders community. MASAC is composed of physicians and scientists and other medical professionals with a wide range of expertise on bleeding disorders, blood safety, and infectious disease, as well as representatives from government agencies and people with bleeding disorders. It also comprises the chairs of the NHF's Nursing Social Work and Physical Therapy Working Groups. So, why is MASAC so important? Why do we hear about it so much? Well, let's turn it over to Dr. Pierce. Glenn, tell us all about it. I am here with Dr. Glenn Pierce. Glenn, welcome to the podcast. Wanted to talk to you today about MASAC. Uh, how long have you been a member of MASAC? I've been a member off and on since uh, 1985. So uh, that seems like a very long time. It seems like you might be the person to ask. So this is wonderful. I'm glad we have this time. What does uh, what part does MASAC play in the treatment of hemophilia, VWD, and other rare bleeding disorders? Well, it plays a central role, uh, actually, in the United States as well as internationally. It's a body that comes together of leading hemophilia treaters and some scientists from across the United States. It develops policy for all aspects of the treatment of bleeding disorders, ranging from psychosocial to next generation therapies to the sequelae from hemophilia, joint disease, safety of the products, blood safety from some of the older products, but safety of the newer products as well. And MASAC will release these recommendations. What happens when that gets released? Like who, who uses them? What, what, what do they do? We have released hundreds of recommendations now over the last um, 30, 35 years. And so patients will use them to understand uh, more about a particular question that they've got or aspects of the disease. Physicians from around the country, we have many physicians who utilize the MASAC recommendations as a guide for um, how to manage this particular aspect of hemophilia or that particular aspect of von Willebrand disease. And then policymakers also utilize these recommendations. And that's why they need to be carefully developed with a balanced viewpoint. That includes insurance companies, governmental agencies, state agencies, who um, will develop their own policies for how to manage whatever aspect of bleeding disorders they're taking care of. The committee is made up of a lot of different people there. And correct me if I'm wrong, there's social workers, there's physical therapists, there's nurses, there's physicians. What is the significance of having such a multidisciplined committee create recommendations um, on treatment and care? There are many sides to the recommendations that require input from people that have different perspectives. We have uh, had consumers on since the mid-80s as well. Um, uh, They tend to be um, consumers educated in aspects of um, the medical profession uh, or the scientific profession so that they can uh, contribute equally with all of the other members of um, 
of MASAC to uh, the uh, to the discussion as well as to the development of recommendations. Uh, and that's been important. So just as having a psycho psychosocial representation, consumer representation, physical therapy, so on, uh, it, it rounds out all aspects of what these kinds of recommendations should be, should be looking at. That's been important in recent years for looking at outcomes, uh, which is something that had been ignored for many years. Uh, but uh, over the last five plus years, uh, we've developed a lot of new technologies that can look at outcomes uh, from this intervention and that intervention. And that has allowed us to um, look at it from a multidisciplinary point of view. And most importantly, from a patient point of view now. This is going to test your memory a little bit. What have been some of the most significant recommendations that you think have come out of MASAC over the last couple of years? <laughs> Well, every six months, we update our treatment recommendations. And, and so those, those we have done religiously uh, for as long as I can remember. Uh, therefore, they're always kept current uh, and they have the latest treatments. They have the latest recommendations for how to use those treatments um, and the, uh, the risks and benefits of those treatments. Uh, and so that's that's probably been one of the most widely used documents by all parties uh, and has been uh, used internationally uh, by um, many, many countries around the world. Um, other documents that have been important have included a number of gene therapy documents that have that have suggested paying closer attention to uh, to safety aspects of gene therapy uh, and what are we trying to accomplish with it? Uh, there have been documents, an extensive document on the use of emicizumab. It's a brand new type of a product, uh, not previously uh, introduced to the community before several years ago. Uh, and so teaching people how to use it um, uh, and what the risks and benefits are for it, what can be done with it, what can't be done with it. Um, other documents dating back many, many years now um, really involve blood safety. Um, and MASAC was at the forefront of uh, advocating for more screening during the HIV period, um, for eliminating HCV from, uh, from the blood supply, for the use of virally inactivated clotting factors, for the switch to recombinant clotting factors back in 1992, uh, pushed for uh, prophylaxis in 1994, when we finally realized that we can do prophylaxis, we don't have to use plasma-derived products, and we can ha have prophylaxis ongoing then in children and know that, um, that uh, they are not at risk for any virally um, transmitted diseases. I want to thank you for being with us. Last question is kind of personal. As a long-term advocate and patient and physician in this community, what does Bleeding Disorders Awareness Month mean to you? Uh, it's, a, it's, an, uh, it's an opportunity to, to just heighten the awareness of it. So the, the, more, the more people who know about bleeding disorders, uh, the better for all of us, right? Uh, and um, the squeaky wheel gets the grease, uh, as they say. Uh, and so we're competing with lots and lots of other diseases, many serious diseases, many diseases that are far more serious than ours. And not to take anything away from those diseases, um, we need to advocate for our diseases as well. And that's what Hemophilia Awareness Month does.
Thank you, Dr. Pierce, for being with us today. And thank you for the Bloodstream team for your work on this series. And thank you all for listening. And of course, thanks to Kata for being the presenting sponsor of the Bloodstream podcast. Check out bleedingdisorders.com to learn more. And that is all for this episode. Hey, circle back to hear all the episodes celebrating Bleeding Disorders Awareness Month and fly Bloodstream Media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Check out the program notes for this episode in your podcast player or on bloodstreammedia.com, where you'll find links and information related to the stories and segments featured on this episode. Thank you all. Happy Bleeding Disorders Awareness Month, and we'll be back tomorrow with another episode. And that is it. I am your host, Amy Board, and we'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you.